0: Welcome to episode 102 of the iPhoneography Podcast. This is our final episode in the Picture Perfect series where we try to teach you what we can and what we know about different elements of iPhone photography or photography in general. And we have a special guest with us. Stick around to find out. It's Monday, September 25th, and this is the iPhoneography Podcast. This is the final episode of our uh, learning series that we call Picture Perfect, And uh, I think this is the seventh uh, episode of that series. And we have a special guest with us this evening. And I'm so glad that he was able to do this one because he is going to have so much input, I'm sure, on what we have to discuss tonight. Uh, The topic is developing your unique style. And who other than to uh, join us on this than... All the way from down under Mike James. How are you, Mike?
1: Hey guys, I'm very good. Very good. I'm I'm really excited about this uh this topic, finding your style. It's um it's something that I, I know I personally have struggled and like many continue to struggle with, but I think once you understand what it what it is, um you can take the pressure off yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, you
0: know, with with the book that you've produced, um what is it? Uh stronger photography con- uh, photo composition four step system uh it, it's way over there That's why it's hard to read with these glasses but um <laughs> but it's it's uh so well written and there is so much in it that I thought all this stuff would probably just come second nature to you but I'm so I'm surprised to hear you're actually struggling with it um but um no it, it's it, I think it's going to be a great discussion and mm-hmm. and of course we have Mr. Dave Podner hello Dave Hello, Greg. Uh, so, I was just saying to the guys here that I'm on the downside of a or that the tail end of a cold, a nasty head cold I had over the weekend. Um, so I'm so glad Mike's here because he can do some of the talking. That I'm, <laughs> I know if I do too much talking tonight, <laughs> I'm going to pay for it. So I will, you know, chime in when I think I can. Uh, I'll introduce each segment of the of the outline. But um, I'm going to let these guys, you know, share their knowledge. And, um, you know, that, that's basically how tonight will go. So hopefully by the time the next episode comes around, my voice will be back to normal and I won't have the sniffles or the cough and, and all that stuff. So um, anyway, so we shall begin. And
2: hey, Greg. OK, one thing I that, that was popping up in the news that I quickly want to mention Oh, right. Was, was the bend. No, that's yes. okay. That's okay. You're getting over a cold. Oh, so
0: yeah. See, that, that's it's, <laughs>
2: it's, 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 it's Ben Gate 2.0. Now, yeah, if you remember, like... if well, I'm calling it that, I don't think anyone else is. But <laughs> we all remember the original Ben Gate when I think the iPhone 6 came out and people were having it bent because they were sitting on the phone because yeah. of the new design. And now people are taking the titanium. The pros with the titanium outsides and they're either dropping them on the ground as part of a drop test to see how well it does or they're in their hand trying to crunch it in half like a biscuit they're trying to crunch up and make smaller and this finally now mainly, we're audio so it, no one will get this joke except for the you 2 on the thing but finally after 30 years I get to use my two diplomas in engineering <laughs> to talk about something
1: well wow, far more qualified than us <laughs> yeah i'll say finally
2: um first of all titanium and i and i know this because the first one's in aerospace engineering and that's pr- it, titanium's used in a couple of different places titanium i mean uh, aerospace and medical, or is the two places it's mostly used? One, it's not very reactive, but B, it's light. Not that it's stronger overall, but for the same thickness or same size, it's much lighter. Which, if you have tight, like Mike was talking about, you hear it as someone's got a titanium rod in their leg or their arm or something when something gets broke. A lightness is a big deal, you know. If you can put mm-hmm. something that's twenty percent, thirty percent lighter in your arm, so you're not trying to lift up a heavy piece of metal in your arm or your leg, it makes a big difference. When you're putting something in, like as, as a plane, like the SR seventy one Blackbird, or putting something in space, lightness is money. It's mm-hmm. ten thousand dollars U S. per pound to I think to launch something into orbit now, and that's cheaper than it's been in a while. So lightness is money. So and, but titanium, again, not necessarily stronger per weight. So, yes, it's significantly lighter. You hear people who have hands on with it uh, saying, especially since it's on the outside, it feels so much lighter and it's so much easier to deal with than the 14 Pro or the 13 Pro.
0: Yeah. And, and so you never did say, but you're talking about the 15 Pro and Pro right, Max, right? Right. right yeah. yeah.
2: But titanium does have a couple of sides. Uh, one major negative compared to stainless, it's not as malleable. It's, it's, um, I'm trying to get the right term here. Um, it's not as flexible. So oh, yeah. it's, it, it's a technical term, its modulus of elasticity is less. So where stainless will bend and come back. You know that that's called elastic deformation for technical terms. So if you mm-hmm. can bend something, it goes back to normal. That's elastic. Plastic is you bend it and it just kind of stay bent. Right. Titanium may be stronger per the same weight per the same size, but it it t- but it will not bend back. It's not as bouncy or as elastic as, as stainless steel. So when it hits the ground, it won't it. Where stainless does have that a little bit more, well, it's actually like twice as much, but that little bit of stainless will give you a little bit more cushion, a little bit more absorption of the shock instead of going right to the glass. Titanium doesn't. Titanium will just kind of transfer all that force right to the glass and the glass shatters. Yeah. Well, that's Which that is what my, they're seeing. Yeah.
1: That was my concern. When I when I heard about this, uh, the you know, titanium frame and so much emphasis on it. My initial response was, well, every issue that I've heard with people taking phones back in to get repaired has been the screen. It's, and glass, it's the same, yeah. same ceramic glass that's mm-hmm. in the previous. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, and and the other problem is where you could take a piece of stainless and put a decent amount of force on it and it'll bend, but it'll come back because it's got that a little bit of elasticity to it. Titanium doesn't. Titanium's yeah, right. stiff. So you put enough pressure on it, it'll bend, but if it bends, it's going, probably going to stay bent, where stainless will bounce back a little bit more. So that's why you're seeing these bend tests where they didn't make the frame stronger. They kept the strength the same, but used a lot less material, making wow. it lighter. Hmm. So yeah. since they were able to do that, it still is strong, so people are noticing, oh, I can push it this far before it breaks, but before you got before is, the, break doing point, to the brand new phone. I know, <laughs> oh, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 if you don't want to give it to us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then that is something that ticks me off, to be honest. It, it, I mean, if you're someone doing. Like, like I was telling Greg, there's a there's a um, research institute in the US called the uh, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. So. They, on their own, buy cars off the lot and crash them, you know, in terms of to see what's safe, and then they give them grades, and it's this high. But it's well-done, high-quality studies, you know. It isn't, oh, we bought a car off the lot, and we're going to put it on cruise control and hit it into a wall and see what happens. That's equivalent to what they're doing here with these phones, you know. They're like, we're holding up the same height and we're going to drop it on concrete. Let's see what breaks first. And then they yeah. and it, even that, that's from someone who actually did not drop experiments but did know what it's like to set up experiments for repeatability, cuz that's what you want to do. You want to repeat it. I know they're doing it for the views and they're where we're talking about it and other people are talking about and they're making a big deal out of it and everything Mm. else. But honestly, yeah, on it, like Ruth has an iPhone 13. I have a 13 pro max. So even though my phone is bigger than hers, it's significantly heavier because I'm stainless. She's aluminum. Yeah. It's going to be lighter. It's so it's, it's going to be in between seventy five. It's going to be like, you know, if you had a fourteen and a fourteen pro, you know, of the same size, you were like, oh, the pros so much heavier because the stainless. It's not going to be. It's going to feel a little bit lighter. That's what yeah. Apple was going for, and the average person isn't going to notice. Yeah. Well, personally, I
1: actually the reason why I've since the 13 have gone the max, the large is I actually like the weight. I'm not gonna lose it because I know where it is. <laughs> I know when I'm carrying it. <laughs> just, yeah, that's a I, good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I know it's a marketing term to make it lighter, but that doesn't uh-huh. appeal to everybody. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I've any
0: anybody I've seen that's doing a review of them, they they say they can notice a significant difference yeah. in the weight. And and I'm sure that's true. Um in fact, a friend of mine in town here. A guy I work with, he got his um fifteen pro max. He had a twelve pro max and he said he can really notice how much lighter it is. And mm. there was something I heard on I think it was Mac Break Weekly where they were talking about a guy who um that
1: ain't that ain't break max, do they?
2: No, no. <laughs> they, they,
1: they drop tests on those. No, no, no. It, it, no. They just take a break during the day to talk about them.
0: <laughs> um, but they said there was a guy, I forget what the term was that this guy used, but it's the. Feeling the it it all has to do with the inertia of the movement in your hand and that mm-hmm. and, and that's what makes it feels lighter too. Yeah, Um mm-hmm. yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's
2: more of a rotational inertia. So, cause yeah, the, 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 where they took the weight, they didn't take the weight uniformly from the phone. They took it from the outside.
0: Yeah. Well, so, there is an aluminum um, part of the body inside
1: right. too that
2: it helps right.
1: reduce the weight. Mm-hmm. It's about twenty grams lighter, I think. Yeah. So and there's but, going to be some buyers, potential buyers out there who are looking at and comparing the Pro and the Pro Max and looking at the USB C and going, I really need that max because I want that faster USB. But mm-hmm. I'm concerned that if I go for to a max for the first time, I'm going to be carrying this heavier phone. So I guess for, for some of those people, they'll be going, Oh, you know what? It's bigger, but it's yeah. not necessarily going to be a lot heavier because they've been out there saying how much lighter this new frame is.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I think. The, the the reason they wanted to bring this up, though, really is as basically as a like, kind of like a PSA to people who are buying these these phones, like just to, to help spread a bit of awareness that um, they may be lighter, but it, not necessarily super strong. You know, the, the drop test proved that the one I saw anyway, um, the, this guy flew all the way to Sydney, Australia to do this drop test because he wanted to be there to get them first before anybody else could and and record this drop test. And he did the, the 15 Pro Max and the 14 Pro Max. And when he dropped them, he did all, all these different levels of, of height, you mm-hmm. know, waist high, chest high, you know, head high. Um, and then he even climbed these stairs and dropped them down on this, this brick sidewalk or whatever. And the 14 Pro Max took a lot longer to break into pieces you know as far as the glass goes than the 15 pro max did and he was really um really stressing the fact that the 15 pro max wasn't holding out as well as the 14 pro max but most people are going to have and of course there's no case on these most people are going to have a case on them most people aren't going to drop the darn things like that all the time um unless you're Setting it up in a window above the garage door, trying to take pictures, like somebody I know.
2: <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a reason why when I buy a case, I buy one that is not just that that um, has shock protection on it because I do I do drop stuff on yeah. concrete. I mean,
0: I've, I've dropped my my yeah. 14 Pro Max before too, but it's always had a case on it. So I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's 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 actually in. I would say. mint condition Um, because I, like I say, I always keep a case on it, but anyway, um, so that's enough about the destroying of iPhones. Now we're going to try to figure out how to help people use them better. Um, (laughs) So this is the uh, final uh, segment of our um, uh, picture perfect series. And like I said earlier, it's developing your unique style. So um, the, you know, the, the, Outline description is basically developing a, a unique style in iPhone photography is an ongoing process. It involves exploration, experimentation, and self-expression. Here are some tips to help you discover and develop your own signature style. So the first one is study and draw inspiration. Look for inspiration in various sources, including photography books, online platforms, exhibitions, the work of, works the, or the work of photographers you admire. Analyze the composition, use of light, color palettes, and subject choices. This will help you understand different styles and identify elements that resonate with you. And I could say I've, I've done some of this stuff. Um, I mean, I don't think my style is like anybody else's really. Um, but I have gone through Instagram or Glass or Flickr or any of these other online communities and uh and i've um you know I've, I've looked at their style and i thought sometimes i'll look at a picture and i think i'd like to take a picture just like that but yeah. you know not to copy but just to um just to explore just to kind of you know see what it takes to get a, a look like that that type of thing but uh mike what have what have you um kind of what, what do you draw from this uh this yeah, part of your studying and, and drawing inspiration from others.
1: Yeah, I think uh I I this is a uh, one of the practical activities in my book. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book is that I want to, you, you need to be able to look at a photo and go, that's an amazing photo, but then be able to break it down and articulate what it is about that photo that you why you aspire to take a photo like that. And it could be, like you say, composition, lighting, um there could be so many different elements in there. And I, and I think it's really important to educate yourself on the um, kind of looking at it more ab- abstractive. Abstractive? Is that a word? Abstractively? <laughs> we'll make it one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it up. Well, speaking of making up terms, photo hacking. <laughs> I kind of I, – I, I treat it like photo hacking. So photo, when you hack something, it sounds um, nefarious and something negative, but photo hacking is basically – Looking at the photo, like you say, and I want to take a photo like that. You don't necessarily need to stand in the same spot, but just, but just look at the photo and think, okay, it's compositionally, they've done this. And in the book, I've got over 100 different techniques and tips in there. So there's lots there to just scroll through and go, okay, tick, I can identify that. Oh, they've done this. Tick. There's so many there you can go through and break it down compositionally. And then think about looking at this photo, where does my eye go first of all, and then you think, okay, well, that might be part of their style is that they're, they're consistently all their photos. The reason why I like this photographer and I'm inspired by these photographers, they, they have me looking and reading the photo this similar way, or they might have me feeling and reacting a similar way. And, uh, it might resonate with my own preferences and, and styles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a lot of good points there. Um, Dave, do you have? Have you got any? Uh, like, have you spent any time looking through other people's pictures for inspiration or anything?
2: Yeah, I have, and and a lot of it where it's I see things where either the overall look is something I like, or a particular shot uh, that goes, oh, I didn't think about looking at a photo that way, or um, there is one person. Uh, I want to make sure I give, I give her credit. Uh, she's a local photographer in Pittsburgh. Uh, and I'm here. We go. Uh, she's on Instagram as Crazy City Lady. Her name's Nikki Weiser. And one thing that she's real big on are reflections and different shots, especially, or and also different shots with the uh, bridges around town. So those are just shots that I didn't think about even making before and when i had a chance when i'm you know walking around looking at different angles because of me looking at her photos thinking i like the way that looks again you don't even have to at first know why you like something because there's lots of reasons we're drawn to certain things or we like certain things and it's all individual that's why when i hate people say oh that's not a good photo, or that's not good here. Or th- it's all up to the individual. You know, mm-hmm. it's one thing to say, well, you know, there's a difference between positive feedback and just denigrating someone else's work. But you like what you like, and that changes over time, too. That's why in the beginning it says about an on- ongoing process. If you look at photos I took, five years ago and the editing I did not only am I using different tools now than I did then I have a different style and a different way I do it because it evolves over time. And part of it is, you know, looking at how, looking at different hashtags, you know, if I'm interested in a landscape, I'll go, I may go to Instagram or like a Vero or somewhere else and look at then do a search by hashtag and see what our people have tried. And, and some things I'm like, not my thing. I I don't see either I'm that's not a thing that interests me or I don't have the ability or maybe they're using different software I don't really want to spend time and effort to learn or different equipment I don't necessarily want to invest in but you get a, you get a feeling for that and then you can jump up and make it your own.
0: Or even mm-hmm. lo- even location can be mm-hmm. um, make it make a difference there. Like I would love to take pictures of the giant redwoods on the on the on the west coast of the U.S. of the north, like the, the Pacific Northwest. But I can't because I'm not there. Will I ever get there? I don't know. I have my doubts. So when I see somebody's image of of uh, you know those great big trees, I I will go to a place that's not far from here that has big pine trees and I will try to take a picture that kind of reminds me of those, those types of scenes, you know, forest scenes and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of how I study and draw inspiration is I, I see these pictures and I, I even though I know I can't get a shot like it, I'll try to get something sort of like it.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, also, I think when we when we're drawing inspiration, it's 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 also art as well. Like going back to um, art and going, okay, is it um, minimalism, surrealism, a lot of these things, abstract that you find in art that you can bring across into photography. And uh, yeah, I think abstract is one that I've struggled with, but it's only been yeah. recently that I've been doing a course on abstract photography that I really now understand that style. It's because I, I never understood it. I'd look at it and go, Yeah, I don't get it. There's no story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> I've, I, I've spent but- so long researching composition and understanding that composition is all about visual flow and there's and and matching it to your your photographic intention. Whereas with abstract and a lot of these arts like um um impressionism and, and uh i think with photography there's romanticism um you know just creating that soft focus and all that sort of thing oh I, yeah. I would look at it but now i'm looking at it more that okay well what the intention of the photographer is not to communicate something to me it's the intention is this photographer is to showcase hey this doesn't look like anything that you know you can't identify, but have a look at these cool lines, tones, textures, colors, shape, form, all these elements that are in the photo. And so yeah, we're gonna talk about that a little bit, little bit later about exploring different genres genres, but I thought that just mm-hmm. tied in with what you are saying there. Yeah. Yep. But you know, I think the the biggest thing about um about
0: photography and art in general is that it's subjective right it's it's what you like is subjective you you Mm -hmm. you know you know Dave might like something that that I don't really think so highly of or or Mike you might like something that you know I I might find boring or whatever you know but those are just stupid examples but but that's basically what it's like in in the world of art Uh, and and it goes well beyond photography I mean it could be sculptures it could be anything Um, it's always subjective. And and I think when, when having a discussion with others about art, everybody has to remember that it's subjective and and not everybody's going to agree to the same things. So, uh, you know, there's, there's two, two, three, basically three key words in this whole segment, and that is study and then draw inspiration. So, you know, Mm It it never hurts to look through other people's images, and I mean, I I look through uh, Instagram probably every day at some point, or or Glass or or Vero or one of these, you know, even on Facebook in the groups that we're in. But um, I'm always, you know, looking at what they've done and thinking, oh wow, that's really cool. I really like that. Or you know, I might have a little issue with this one or that one. But um, but a lot of times I do draw inspiration from them and. That's what makes this stuff so much fun, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I picked up a tip recently. Uh, you mentioned study and grow. That we have a, a National Gallery Victoria, NGV, in Melbourne, and they have different um, exhibitions all the time. And they have a bookshop there. And inside the bookshop, they've got all these books on different art periods that you can go in there. And every time I go there, I buy a new book. I've just started doing this. And uh, and then that, you know, then you can go into one of these, um, you know, topics and, and really learn that particular topic in depth. Um, so I think it's important. I mean, I know I'm a little bit uh, biased because I produce courses, but courses and books are not, you know, it, it, you learn the way you want to learn and need to learn. I mean, going to YouTube and, and is great, uh, Facebook groups, Instagram, it, it's really good to learn things, but you're just picking up little bits each time. But a structured learning, like a, a book like that, that you can pick up at a gallery, Um, something like that where you can actually, it's structured learning. I'm a big advocate being an instructional designer. That's, I've got a diploma too, Dave. (laughs) 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 yours off. Should show mine off. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: Yeah, that's why when people learn off YouTube, it's like, no, you're just, it's passive. You're just taking in the information that you already know and you're just learning so slowly. And I think um, part of finding your own style is is education and, uh, and experimentation, which we'll cover in a bit more depth.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, so the next part is, uh, is just that, experiment with different genres. And uh, so it says explore different genres of photography, such as landscapes, portraits, street photography, abstracts, or still life. Try various genres. Uh, trying out very various genres allows you to find what interests you the most and where your creative strengths lie. This is something that I've just in recent years tried playing around with a little bit because I was always just pretty much straight landscapes. And mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's times when I'll see uh, some somebody's street photography on on Instagram say and i'm thinking wow that that's kind of cool uh in, in the town where i live i don't think it's ex- ex- as as accepted as you know the bigger cities um people tend to get a little squirrely i think when when people start taking pictures of people on the street and you know there's a real craft to approaching people on the street to see if you can take their picture and mm-hmm. um you know it's just not my forte i guess you could say that's not to say i won't try it I, I want to try it at some point um but i think i would be more inclined to try it you know one of these shooting from the hip type of things where you can yeah just be lucky to get
1: the shot type of thing um well the three of us are introverts aren't we
2: <laughs> yeah, I would
0: say so. <laughs> I can't imagine.
1: Just I, I yeah. saw a, an Instagram uh, account where this person was taking photos and then printing it on the spot, and then going up to them and giving them the little, you know, little tiny print of the photo, and you get the reaction with the body worn camera and all that. It's like, oh, that's so cool. I'd love to do. Yeah, no, nah, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> not <Stopped laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so,
0: Dave, have you really played around with different genres like? A- you're a, you're a little bit of a mixed bag, I think, when it comes yeah. to your subject matter, because you do people, you know, with your racing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I've seen so many different things from you.
2: Yeah, I don't really have a a particular genre that I that I focus on. It's more of what I see that interests me at the time and what's available. So like you said there there are times like uh yesterday I had a race so I was around places that had that I could take you know also on Saturday for when I had to pick up the packet I took a few photos downtown which is going to have a completely different vibe and a different availability than where I live in the suburbs or where I work which is another suburb but a little further out or if I go to a wooded area so it's it for me it's more yeah. I, I think I look around, see what's available to me, and see if something interests me that will make a photo and either tell a story or like a sunset that just kind of explodes with color or interaction between shadow and light, or framing a certain subject. So yeah, I, I really have kind of an eclectic grouping of photos that I put out there.
0: Yeah, it's um you know, I've seen like as 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 far as genres go. From you, I've seen like architecture, I've seen automotive or, or you know, uh, vehicles or whatever. Um, Blue Caddy. Blue Caddy uh, yeah. I've seen um, you know people. I've seen
1: uh,
0: events. You know, there, there, mm-hmm. you have such a a wide range of things that you and like you say, it's because it's what what's available to you at the yeah. time. Um, I'm gonna kind of point back at your book, Mike, about composition. Do you think that um, can kind of determine what uh, genre you would shoot based on composition?
1: Uh, no, not necessarily. I think composition, you can find composition in any genre. And I think that's that's why I wrote the book is that uh, I – I don't special I'm I'm similar. I don't specialise in something with uh, mobile photography. You know, you have Shane Mostyn who specializes in astrophotography on the smartphone. And this was something mm-hmm. that held me back for a long time. It's like I need to niche down. I need if I'm going to embark on this journey on being a photography educator, I need to I need to find my I need to find my people. I need to specialize in something. <laughs> but I, I'm the, I'm the same as Dave. It's like I I, I can't. I just I started off similar to you Greg with landscape photography and that was when it was a real concerted effort to get out there and and learn photography for the first time when I say that uh, more than 25 years I've been working in photography but it hasn't it's been a job and it's been uh, very technical and no room for creativity it was just turn up here take photos um, and then it's only been the last seven years or so that I actually discovered photography using the smartphone and fell in love with photography. So when I did that, it was like, okay, I, I really like landscapes, went out there, did landscapes, uh, and then, you know, can't always get to the landscapes, pressures of, of um, life, you know, real world. Can't, for me, I can't get out there at sunset and sunrise. So then I started looking for other alternatives, going for walks. I love taking photos of flowers and insects. And now that's probably the most consistent thing. Um, but yeah, to bring it back to the question with the book, the reason why I wrote the book is that, yeah, I hadn't found a niche that a subject matter expert on a particular niche, like your your um, your um macro. Uh, I didn't really find anything like that, but I wanted to add some value and, and talk about a struggle that I had. And for me, turning up to those landscapes or going for the walk and taking photos of flowers with insects it's like okay here's the here's the photo i want to capture but how do i capture it and i think that's where the study and composition helps you and gives you the confidence to be able to walk into any situation any location and create an interesting photo an engaging impactful photo and So the four steps basically are where do you position yourself and the camera? So height-wise, angle-wise, tilt the phone, um, preparing. So do I put a lens attachment on it? Which lens do I select in the native camera? Then it's positioning the visual element. So if there's an insect, if there's a bee on the flower, where do you position the bee in the frame? Mm, Where do you position the contextual elements? So I want the bee off-centre. But then if I do it off-centre on the left, how does that impact the rest of the elements in the frame? If I position the main visual anchor on the right side off-centre, where do all the other elements position when I change that location? How do they all interact with each other? And then the fourth step is, is editing, so cropping, uh, local editing, so that you can get in there and really change that visual flow. So that's what I'm talking about, those four steps. You can apply that to any genre, can't you? any topic, any subject, any location, weather, you know, time of day—it doesn't matter. If you understand those principles, they're there to to guide you. They're not there to to restrain you and go, "Okay, I have to do rule of thirds."
0: Yeah, yeah. Because
1: if you don't if you don't do rule of thirds, you go, "I'm going to break that rule. I'm going to put a smack bang in the center." It's like, yeah, you've just centered the photo. That's another principle.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or, I, or I'm gonna I'm gonna crop this really weird and really strange. It's like. Yeah, that's another principle called awkward crop. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. You've incorporated visual tension. That's fantastic. Now go learn about visual tension and how you can actually further emphasize visual tension in your, you know, your photographic intention was to have visual tension in this frame and in this photo. Then how do you then go and edit it to really enhance that and make it a stronger image? So, yeah, it doesn't matter what genre. That's basically the the uh, yeah main message there.
0: Yeah, well that's that's a that's a really strong point. Um uh you know, speaking of uh well, actually we're going to get to that in a minute uh playing with composition, but first we're going to touch on uh find your preferred subjects. Uh discover the subjects that fascinate and inspire you. It could be nature, urban scenes, uh people, architecture, or everyday objects. Focusing on subjects that ignite your passion will help you develop a unique perspective and connection to your photography that kind of blends in with what we uh-huh. just talked about with the different genres, um, mm. you know, like like I said about, about you, Dave, you could, depending on where you are, it de- just depends on the genre you're going to shoot. Like whether you're mm-hmm. uh, in nature or, you know, an urban scene, like say when you're on a run, uh, people on a run, uh, architecture on a run because you run downtown sometimes <laughs> downtown
2: <Pittsburgh>, you know <laughs> do, do you have a walk <laughs> <laughs> not if i'm trying to get medals out of it
0: <laughs> so i mean there's really not a, a lot to say in this regard um like to to this point about uh finding your, your preferred subjects but you know on that point though uh like you said matt uh matt Thinking about Matt Hoffman for some reason, uh Mike, uh, about um with no, me, I'm it's sorry. macro. You know, shooting macro does excite me. It, it really ignites my yeah. creativity. I, I could go in my backyard when there's things in bloom and I could spend an hour shooting, yeah. you know, three or four flowers for some reason. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm just crazy, but it's just, I get lost in it,
1: right? I get lost in that creativity. And, yeah. um, you know, it's I totally it's, when... I totally resonate with that. Because I mentioned with the landscape photography, you know, I, I can't get to the location, I can't get down to the beach. And that's so then I feel guilty that I'm not out there taking photos, I get withdrawal symptoms, but I can just go out into the backyard. And I if I look at my camera roll, the 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 subject that I have so many photos of is bees, you know, exactly like you're saying, I could just go out in the backyard, middle of the day is the best day, the best time of the day to capture them because they're the most active um yeah but, but to go back to um finding your preferred subjects i think the situation that you find yourself in whether you go for runs all the time that is how you find your um your subject right uh mm-hmm. being limited by being able to go somewhere and having to find opportunities where you, where you live that helps you find subjects and we were talking about before before about um uh researching as well so with the bees now that i've i've found it i've recognized that hey i love taking photos of bees just being out there and immersed in the in within the bees and and that escapism time slows down just fascinated by these these little creatures you're then encouraged to go and and, and I've gone and done research on bee behavior and not only through my observations of watching them but now I I've, I've learned okay this is this is the type of bee this is what they're doing having that sort of that knowledge about the subject that you've that you've identified with the bees now I can anticipate, what their movement is going to be, so I can actually pre-position and 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 subtly and gently manipulate this situation so the bee will look. You know, I, I can anticipate their behaviour, but I can also control their behaviour without um, interrupting them, if you like. And, and because we all know gesture interaction, capturing that moment—that's that's what makes an interesting photo, not just mm-hmm. a bee on a on a on a flower, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah you want to you don't you don't want to take a photo of the back end of a bee you know head first into a flower like you want you want to you want to get Been, that they've done contact. that <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> we want to get that eye contact with the bee be and understanding the subject you know okay when they go head first in they're going to come out again but because it's come from this direction it's not going to backtrack and go back to the same flower again it's going to go to another one so when it comes out it's going to go in a different direction so by watching it you go okay I'm going to anticipate it's going to come out this way, and it it rarely happens the way you want. It. But that's the <laughs> yeah. fun of it, because that's yeah. that's the thrill of it. It's it's like, oh, I got the shot. What are the odds that I would get that shot of it coming out mid-flight, frozen, frozen oh. um, wings? Um, I'm sure they're not called wings. See, so I could research bees a lot more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, I would imagine they're yeah. wings, but uh, yeah. They're wings, yeah, Well, there's a technical term. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 But, uh, I, but I think once you find your subject and you research it, you'll enjoy. And that's that's the thing with photography. It gives us so much joy um getting out there and participating in this craft, but also the results of, of capturing it. And so having that doing that research, understanding it. Um, yeah, I just think you can get so much more out of photography. If you if you're into architecture, understand why why some buildings look better than others you know there might be something like okay, that's an engineering accomplishment what they've achieved there so in the photo, emphasize, hey, look at this angle that they've managed to achieve or look at mm-hmm. this amazing contrasting materials that they've that they've used here, and the reflections in glass and yeah, I'm oh,
2: sorry, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, Well, let me let me let me bound off what Mike said. If you're going to travel somewhere, check out and do a little thing ahead of time because, well, first of all, it's always good to know what are the normal shots that are taken if you want to try something different. But yeah. there are certain buildings which are, oh, this building is, like I said, for architecture, this building was built at this time. It looks like this. And you may get, be able to get some interesting angles and features. And But you have to know where to look for it. And there's mm-hmm. even times that you're like, I've seen that person take that photo. And I want to recreate that photo. Or I want to see if I can recreate that photo. So – I need to know, and you can generally tell where they were at and you can try it with, you're like, okay, they didn't have an iPhone. They had an expensive, whatever. How can I replicate either the feeling or get close to it or put my own spin on it with my iPhone? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yep. one building downtown Pittsburgh. It's the uh, United Steelworkers building. And it's the outside of the building is a it looks like a lattice um but it's it's like diamond pattern so if you're looking down up you see all these crisscrossing diamond shapes coming up and but you need to get there and look straight up and get the angle and get the feeling for the sun and how the different buildings react to it but if you're you know if you're going to like a big city like Toronto yeah, you know, there's four or five shots that everyone takes per se. First of all, go for it. No one's saying, oh, you know, everyone does that shot. So why? Well, because you're 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 doing the shot and not them. But you may look at the shots and, and say, oh, that building right there, that kind of gets to me. I don't know what, but it calls to me. I want to take a photo there. So here's where I'm staying and this is where I need to go. And so you can plan ahead and like, and then, you know, Figure out, like like you said, and this is something we're also going to talk about, about experimenting with lighting, trying to get your own style. Looking at the sun and reflections off a thing and, you know, thinking, boy, you know, that's there and that's there. So I want to get this angle because the light will hit this way and this will hit this way, you know. And again, doing the research of seeing what other people have done so they know what's going on.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah, it, it's all part of you know the study and whatnot, um, which which is our, our initial point in the beginning. The study and prediction. you know, you, you can always study. Probably with all of these points, there's probably an element of studying involved. You know, learning about them before you even go out and shoot, type of thing. Um. So the next one another, is
1: no, before we move on, Greg. Another yeah. another thing people can use to um, to learn a bit more about the location and that sort of thing is chat gpt i mean i presented to a a local camera club in melbourne and uh and i introduced them to this because chat gpt you can go in there and you can get uh smartphone photography tips and we use them now for our outlines for the podcast really really super helpful it's not necessarily new things that that we're coming up with with the framework but it's it's reminding us hey what have you thought about this it's prompt they're great prompts. And you can actually, and I've typed this in where I've said, okay, uh, I'm an amateur photographer new to, and I, the location was Essendon, which is a suburb of Melbourne. I would like to take some location specific photographs. Do you have some ideas? And bang, the, the camera club were blown away <laughs> because they're locals and it's come up with a dozen different ideas like the Essendon Fields um, um, airport. If you go to this location you can capture the the wind socks at this time of day the wind socks will do this it was like it was just amazing the detail that you could find there wow so yeah it's a, it was it's real eye opener it's uh very handy for that sort of thing so the, the and that ChatGPT it's all about the wording the prompts so the prompt is area specific photography ideas and i found that worked really well yep that's cool that's good information right there <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so the next one is right in your wheelhouse, Mike. It's a uh, play with composition. Uh, composition plays a vital role in defining your style. Experiment with different framing techniques, perspectives, leading lines, rules of thirds, symmetry, and, or uh, unconventional angles. Uh, explore ways to create visual balance and draw the viewer's attention to your subject. And some of this stuff you've actually covered already in a way. Um, but I mean, uh, you know, when I what I said to you earlier about uh, composition and developing your style, uh, you know, it's it's composition can certainly develop your style if you use mm. the same type of co- composition frequently or all the time. But uh, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't limit it to, you know, one type of composition all the time. You know that 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 would be a fair statement, right?
1: Yeah, well one of the, with the book uh <clears throat> I have this this process called composition stacking. So it's one 100 different compositional techniques and tools sounds overwhelming. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> it is. It's a lot because we kind of we go out there and go rule of thirds, rule of thirds, leading lines um and then you might pick up one um thing like a fibonacci spiral it's okay like, hey, i'm going to research fibonacci spiral and then you go out and you just concentrate on that one technique whereas in the book what i what i do is what i've done is each of those tools i've combined them into those four steps so they're like four buckets if you like so and it's in a chronological order so the first one where do i position the camera uh and the framing and uh, where do i position myself in the camera and that kind of uh there's lots of different tool, uh, techniques in there. Lower angle, shoot from a lower angle. So you shoot from a lower angle, shoot from uh, side on, so you change the perspective, closer, further away. There's three different techniques in just the one shot there. And then you go over to, okay, where am I going to position the um, main visual anchor? And there might be three different ideas or concepts that you incorporate. So if you take, if, if you take two ideas out of each of those four steps, all of a sudden, you've incorporated eight different compositional techniques in there. So that's how you get that real powerful uh, photo. Is that you've in, you've incorporated a few of them? But to bring this back to style, uh, style is is something that you you mentioned. You're, you're spot on with consistency. So you consistently go out and you shoot the same way. Um, but we're going to talk about the pros and cons of that <laughs> a little bit later. But if you – I would encourage people to go out and, and with and with our smartphones, it's fantastic. I mean, now with your iPhone 15, you've got how many – is it seven different focal lengths that's programmed yeah. into it? So I would encourage people to go out and just choose one, okay, and just go out with one and just limit yourself with one and then get familiar with, okay, if I shoot at something at this distance, the proportions and the perspective is going to be this, but if this subject is that is that. So ten meters, it's it's thirty meters away. How is that going to change the composition? How small is that object going to become the further away it is using this particular focal length in the in the smartphone? I, personally, I I love the idea of this uh, the five times optical, and the reason why I love this this new new option and gosh, long over long overdue, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah, way overdue <laughs> is,
1: is the compositional technique of com- uh, background compression. So basically. Yeah. If you shoot something from standing further back, then the background in that photo is going to appear bigger. So many times we see an amazing sunset. You pick up the phone and you go, wow, that sun looks tiny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and everything yeah. is out of proportion and yeah. you're, just, you're just dissatisfied with the photo. Whereas having that extra zoom, if you've got a tree that's beautifully silhouetted with the, with the background in the distance, if you use a zoom, you know, Speaking of traditional camera, telephoto lens, um, big zoom lens, it will actually make the background closer to the tree. So developing your style is is consistency. So if you go and choose, okay, I love this particular focal length. And an experiment, well, not an experiment, but a, a, um, a challenge that a lot of photographers put place on themselves is I'm just going to put on the 50 millimeter lens for a week and go out and take photos with just that lens. And it's it's a great way to learn how to use that lens, restrict yourself so that you can actually, um, yeah, make do with that lens. So compositionally, yeah, changing, doing that is one, one tip. Another is just going out there and just um, placing the main subject off-center. Every photo you take, yeah, the main subject is off-center. It doesn't matter where it is, whether it's right on the edge, and it's facing out of the frame so that it has visual tension or it's right on the edge and it's facing towards the middle of the frame. And so you have an implied line of sight or you have a real line of uh, leading line or something like that bringing you back in or just the space. And when you, when you do this, uh, you then learn things like asymmetrical balance. And so, yeah, anyway, I'm rambling <laughs> <laughs> again. Please tell me you just shut up. (laughs) Oh, it's all very
0: valuable, in my opinion. Uh, um, Dave,
2: when an an expert's talking about something, you let them talk about something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, Do you have a favorite focal length on your phone, Dave, that you use more than any of them? (sighs) Not really.
2: Not really. Not really. Um, It's really up. More about for me where I'm standing, where the subject is, and the framing of it.
0: Yeah. So it's kind um, of in line with what you said before about whatever is presented to you, then, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I would say I have a favorite crop, and that's 16 by nine.
0: Yes. Yes. I was thinking I, that I, yeah, when we hit yeah, the subject here. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I have a preferred crop, but not really preferred focal length. Well, it kind of, the, the kind of though, but if I'm shooting 16 by nine, that affects the zoom level focal length that I'm selecting though. Yes. Because I have to make it where it fits in the subject, you know, versus a four by three or a square, a square cutoff. And I think I like 16 by nine because the phone's basically 16 by nine.
1: Mm,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the, the, the screen is 16 by nine or
2: yeah.
1: darn close to it. So,
2: yeah.
0: Um, and with the well, apple, that, that
1: changes everything, doesn't it? If you take if you if your style is to go out and just take square crops, if you uh, incorporate that really simple um, rule of thirds, so you've got the two diagonal lines, two horizontal mm-hmm. lines. If you're taking a sixteen nine, those lines are further spaced away. Whereas if yeah. you've got a square crop, then you try and place a subject on one of those four intersecting lines, those four mm-hmm. intersecting spots where mm-hmm. the, the lines cross over with those that that location is actually going to be a lot closer to the center of the frame than what a 16:9 where those right. four intersecting dots are further mm-hmm. spaced apart so knowing that hey this is my style I like taking square photos if you're going to incorporate rule of thirds you need the main subject to be further away from the center so that you can still achieve that same balance and space that we achieve using mm-hmm. using rule of thirds yeah yep yeah and you're going to have to keep in mind what is
0: outside of that square area you know when you get 16 by 9 you're wider on the sides Mm. or up and down if you're doing vertical but um you know so you have to consider does all that stuff fit the um the vision of the image or or does it not type of thing so you know that's something to consider too yeah yeah so the next one is experiment with lighting lighting sets the mood and tone of your photographs explore Different lighting conditions, including natural light, golden hour, blue hour, low light, or dramatic shadows. Develop an understanding of how light affects your subjects and experiment with various techniques to capture unique lighting situations. Mm-hmm. Something I've learned over the last few years is how much light really matters in a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I look for it, consciously, consciously look for better lighting now than I used mm-hmm. to. I used to think because I was more landscaped than anything that uh, you know, a, an overcast day with its perfectly diffused even lighting was, you know, the chef's kiss, you know, th- that that was mm-hmm. the the best lighting that you could use in, in a landscape photo but boy oh boy, I'm finding I was so wrong. I mean, in some cases, yeah, it works but it, it's so much better to have dramatic lighting and I credit that to watching people on YouTube like Gavin Hardcastle, uh Adam Gibbs, you know Michael Shane Bloom, some of these guys that they're shooting with their mirrorless or DSLR cameras and one of the things they always emphasize is the light and I've really um I've really started paying a, a lot more attention to that in in the recent years. So the lighting I think it's it's everything.
1: Yeah, I find with street photography, um, street photography, lighting is quite an impact because if you find the street photography, that that's my kind of genre when it's the middle of the day. That's that's when I love to do, street photography, because you've got those um, harsh shadows. You've got pockets of light, you know, pools of light in between buildings. You've got the light coming through. So you got got yeah, the dramatic shadows. I love shadows. I'm like people. People call themselves light chasers. I'm a shadow chaser. (laughs) 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 I I just think it adds so much drama. And then, and 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 my my when it comes to that sort of um, um, genre, my my um, uh, style with that genre is that I'll crush the blacks and I'll remove all the details and I'll clip the blacks because that's Mm. that's what I like with street photography. So within each genre, you can have your own style. Yeah, yeah. But was the same. Um, landscape photography is like, okay, well, the lighting and the time of day, this is part of the story. And when I'm judging uh, photo competitions and I'm providing some feedback, you know, typical, you typically you say something um, positive, you offer some uh, feedback or just um, a suggestion, an interpretation, and then you provide them with something positive again. Quite often, there's two there's two things that come up all the time, and one is uh, actually three. Let's go with three. <laughs> three <laughs> consistent bits of feedback. One is crop the photo, uh, you know, recompose the photo just by simply cropping it, uh, edit the photo so that you have a bit more visual flow, like area-specific. Like, that's amazing how many photo competitions where people don't take the time to just edit and enhance it a little bit. I hate it when people say... Um, Hashtag no edits. It's like, oh, come on, you've missed you've missed yeah. half of photography. <laughs> um, and the other is lighting. Like this scene would have been amazing if you were mm-hmm. just here at a different time of day and to just to get that different lighting. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or just wait, like you say, just wait for that cloud to come over and, and have more diffused lighting. So the lighting can have a big impact on the um uh, uh how impactful that that photo is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
0: nice dark shadows, like when you say you crush the blacks, it really adds an element of mystery to the image too. Um, There's a a wonderful Irish lad, Brendan O'Shea, who is an amazing street photographer and he does it all with his iPhone. And Mm -hmm. and I've, I've seen a lot of his images where, you know, there'd be somebody walking along and he just catches them as they walk through the light and there's shadows on each side of them or something like that, you know, like like he's just just brilliant at what he does and i've always thought i'd love to do that with street photography but like i say you know in in the town i live in i don't know that there's anywhere architecturally that will offer that situation up um, I've just, I've just got this
1: visual in my head, Greg. I've just got this visual of <laughs> you finding this one location where the sun comes through between these buildings and you're sitting there in a deck chair waiting for someone to walk
2: in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, I'll, I'll
0: just go, you know. Oh, oh, oh yeah, uh, 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 there they are. You know, I'll pretend I'm <laughs> t- pretend I'm talking on the phone now, for those mm-hmm. who can't see what I just did. Um, but I'll pretend yeah. I'm talking on the phone, and all of a sudden, somebody I see somebody coming. Oh, then I'll just hold it up and. I will just if they say if they if they stop and and, and say oh, you know, go ahead take the picture I'll say, oh no no you go ahead and then I'll go after
1: you click <laughs> oh my <laughs> like... gosh you you were so polite you would do that and then you missed that amazing shot
2: <laughs>
0: it's the Canadian in me
2: <laughs> uh,
0: so uh um, with lighting, Dave, I think I've seen some of your uh, really cool images with lighting, but like especially with your um, your solar lights outside your front door.
2: Mm, you know, yeah. with
0: the shadows they cast, like it, mm-hmm. it almost looks like a, a star filter. Yeah, Um yeah, it, it, which it, is it, really cool.
2: Yeah, and you have to be careful, especially with the newer iPhones and night mode, because it will all of a sudden. It, could, it can make it a little too bright sometimes. Mm. You really yeah. sometimes want a little harsher shadow and it will make it like, oh, look, midday look. Even though Apple's pretty good with keeping it as realistic as possible, sometimes you still want to have it closer to what your eye sees. Yeah, yeah. So, and, uh, like I said, a lot of that's with, you know, taking photos, experimenting, and then um, using an editor. You know, and not necessarily the built-in editor, but something like a Lightroom Mobile or um, Photomator, uh, where you can get a little bit more uh, exact with the adjustments.
0: Yeah, yeah, more true to what you saw. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Or yeah. even, or even, you know, like it's like I said about making it a little bit harsher than what it was. But yeah, to get yeah, those that extra, extra one. dark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or also sometimes when I'll do, um, I'll go on my back hill and take um, sunset photos. Because from the top of my hill, it overlook, it's over, you don't see the house, my house or the houses across the street. You just see the hills in the distance and the trees. Mm-hmm. So I'll take a photo there and then I'll really make make it more of a silhouette look more than it actually was to really make it look so so you get that focus on the sky and the cut out the trees not necessarily you see the trees in the foregrounds
0: yeah that that's um you know i think light has so much to do with uh yeah you know and, and and it's okay let's let's bring this back around to finding your style um some people will only shoot at sunset or sunrise. Yeah. Some people will only shoot at midday. So, you know, there's definitely uh, a lot to do with finding your your style mm-hmm. um, with whatever light to you prefer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, next is develop a color palette. Uh, colors can greatly influence the mood and atmosphere of your photos. Pay attention to the colors present in your surroundings and how they interact with your subjects. Experiment with vibrant and bold colors or muted and desaturated tones. Consistency and color treatment can help create a cohesive and recognizable style. So there, again, you know, sunsets or sunrises. There's definitely a color palette there. Um, yeah. Crazy city lady. I think a, a good, good hearty lot of her pictures will have yellow in them because of the bridges.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: And you know those exactly. yellow bridges in Pittsburgh.
2: Yeah, and she really emphasizes, including sometimes doing, which I know a lot of people don't like, uh, the color, uh, having yellow, the yellow bridge being the only thing in color and everything else oh, being, yeah. uh, being like gray or black splash. and white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but again, it's it's a style. Now, there are some people who go for more of the vibrant, vibrant colors and some people whose photography goes for the muted colors. And that's like like it says here. It's part of your style. It's you know, I like things that pop a little bit more mm-hmm. most of the time. Sometimes I do want to have a mood of a muted color though. Um, I did a, a sepia tone recently of a building a couple of days ago, and. It kind of helped that I took the picture at 7 a.m. So it was overcast. It was 7 a.m. So there wasn't a lot of light and there wasn't a lot of bright colors. So putting in sepia kind of gave it a, you know, a, a feel for it that, you know, bright colors first of all the scene uh not only time of day overcast the scene didn't have a lot of bright colors around it so it didn't really i didn't really lose much in terms of a punch but you know some people were just like i want my colors to look this way or i like this or i like this or i want my f-. so you work on adjusting that and then you know, or sometimes you do one, one or two things, which is completely opposite because it kind of throws people off. But, but you know, for the most part, you and that's part of your editing style, because you can take a picture of a, of an of an area of a building of a flower, a uh, still life, whatever you want, and say, okay, this is the composition I like. Now I want to work on, and the lighting looks good, but I want to work on the color palette. I want to make it muted a little bit more than how it's shown here. So you can work on now there's, like I said, the base editor is good. The build-in photo app editor is good. But if you want to work on individual colors, uh, I know Lightroom Mobile, you can actually say red. I want it Mm -hmm. to have not just lighter, darker, um, but I want it more saturated, less less saturated. So you can take down the saturation and make it a darker shade of red or a darker mm-hmm, yeah. shade of blue, you know, if you want to do that, or put an overall tint to the photo. You know, mm-hmm. so there's lots of ways that once you get a feel for what you're and this is again over time and experience getting your color palette, but then knowing okay. And something that may help with this is having presets. Once you know how to get the photo the way you want to make it, you can go, okay, this style, save that style. And it may not work. It's not going to work immediately, automatically, 100% of the time. But if you have a particular style and you make your own filter in whatever program you use, you can say, okay, that gets me 90% of the way there. Mm-hmm. And same thing with color palette. I like a muted color palette that's a little cooler than with how the phone. And that's something else to know is, does your phone shoot warm or cool? Yeah, yeah. Because I find some of the Android
0: phones, maybe not so much now because they're really getting closer together, like between Apple and the Android phones, Mm -hmm. the, the camera systems. But I would say a few years ago. The uh, Samsung phones would shoot at a cooler temperature than well even not, I think you know what even now it's still like this but yeah they, they they would shoot at a little cooler temperature than the Apple phone like the iPhone mm-hmm. um n- natively like in in a regular yeah. like default mode type of thing uh, unless you got in there and with a you know third party app and started playing around with the, the 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 white balance but um uh but yeah the you know, there's, there's color tones and things
1: like that. Mike, do you have anything on that? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's two parts to this. And the one is, um, color theory. And I had a podcast episode a, while, a little while ago. I had a guest on Tara Leslie, and she is uh, an artist. And in her day job, she was a colorist at a, uh, carpet manufacturing company. And so her job was to, uh, accurately photograph color and, uh, And then when she gets into her art form, she then uses color theories, contrasting, split complementary, uh, all this sort of thing. I mean, we had this um, just – it's been my most popular episode, surprisingly. I wouldn't have picked it. I I, uh, I listened to it. I remember that one. it's just so much it was just so much fun. You know, she was saying she would she would walk into an artist supply shop and she she would see some colors and she would feel instantly hungry. <laughs> you know, like it would have a physiological reaction with her looking at different colors, which is really cool. I've I've heard people talk about uh you know um certain colors do certain things, but the way she articulated it was really uh interesting and and, and fun. But you touched on some great things there, Um, that Dave. Lightroom Mobile, I didn't really, uh, myself, because I, I started using Snapseed when I first got into mobile photography, and it's fantastic. But when you get into the curves and you start playing around with the colors, channels, inside curves, things get wacky really quickly. <laughs> and it's not the place to go and learn color. The place to learn color is Lightroom Mobile and um and just put my photography educator hat on for a moment but <laughs> <One of> the, <laughs> the reason why it's so cool is that you can go into uh there's two options there you've got color grading which is really good to go in and change the uh color tint for the shadows the highlights mid-tones or global you can change it to everything you can turn it into a monochromatic using that but it's just really cool to have a play around with, and and even have a photo there of the Matrix. You know, when they're when they're up in the Matrix, have a look at like a screen capture or just Google search uh, when they're up in the Matrix, and then have a look at a photo when they're down and they're in the ship. And you can see that when they're on the ship, the shadows are severely uh, blue, and uh, like the color contrast is uh, the color grading is quite dramatic. And so you can go and replicate that in Lightroom Mobile using the color grading. But I, I love it, and you, you touched on it, Dave. Is the uh, the presets? You can go into presets, and if you have a if you're subscribed, like it costs like seven, eight dollars a month for the mobile plan, you can have a photo there, and you can uh, go into presets, and it will analyze your photo, and it will look at your photo, and then it'll come up with some recommended presets and then you can go along and go oh that looks really cool uh and then I'm not so sure and then it's got a little button there similar similar presets or similar to this And you tap on that and then you're fine tuning it and it gets closer and closer to what you like and then when you find one there tap on it and then you can go into the uh the color panel and you go into the individual um colors and you can see this is what I love about Lightroom presets as opposed to uh, Instagram or Snapseed, oh, not so much Snapseed, but some of these others, Visco, it does these edits and it's like putting colorful, beautiful color cling wrap over the photo. It's like, oh, that looks really amazing. I didn't learn anything. I don't know what they've done. Whereas with Lightroom Mobile, with the presets, you can go in to the colors panel, go into the color channel, and you can see exactly what the adjustments were done. So it's a great way to learn color, how to manipulate color. And you'll see that where some certain colors they'll actually change the hue so they'll change the colors within that photo and go you know what the green we're going to make the green a little bit more yellow or the other way around um yeah and then it changes luminosity saturation of the colors there's so much you could do on in uh, in colors in solar mobile presets is is the way to get in there and learn it or just slide around and see what you're doing but presets uh, what I like about it is that somebody has made those adjustments with an intention with that photo. Like they've looked at that photo and go, this photo is going to look a lot better uh, and it's subjective, but this photo is going to look better if you do this with the colors. So then, it, instead of just experimenting, sliding things around by yourself, you've got some direction there. You go, okay, ah, oh, I see what, what they've done here. I see why they've done that. The shadows, now they've added a bit of a, um, a blue tint to it and then they've changed these colors. Uh, yeah, and you can actually slide around and change it yourself inside the filter once it's done. You can go in there and change these adjust these adjustments and just further emphasize it to create your own kind of take on it. And go, you know what, I like what you did, but, hey, I like green. I don't want my greens to turn to yellow. So you just slide that hue back a little bit so you can tweak it to your own, your own taste. And that's a great way to find your own style. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, just a final word on the color palette is some a, a lot of people use a lack of color you know some yeah. people are just straight black and white and that is oh, definitely yeah. a style in this in and of itself so um you know it, like the the outline says uh muted colors and desaturated tones well you can you can actually take the color right out of the equation and and then you're do you end up with uh highlights and shadows only and that yeah. that, that there is. Like I say, it's a style of its own. So,
1: one thing I like to do is is an app called it, we're iPhone specific here, so I can mention this app. Normally, normally, you have to be careful not to say iPhone apps because half my audience <laughs> go oh, iPhone user again. Yeah, <laughs> but this is great. There's an app out there, Superimpose X. I love it. It's my favorite for comp- uh, compositing and blending photos together. And what I what I'd like to do is have the photo create a, a black and white inside Lightroom Mobile or Snapseed it has some fantastic filters for black and white. Load up the original photo inside Superimpose X and then you add a layer of the black and white. And then inside there, it has different blend modes. So you can go in there and you can select, you know, um, colour burn, you can select overlay. It does, it's like all these terms that you're familiar with, Photoshop, you can go in there and, and you can, and then you can mask in and you can actually change the opacity, the strength, the strength, of how much of that black and white and certain parts of the photo actually uh, go over top of that original. So even though it's mm. not strictly a, a black and white, you're, you're blending the two, and it's just it's just a lot of fun. I, this is the, this is why I'm passionate about editing because that's the experimenting side of it. That's the fun side of it. If you if you just take the photo, and go you know what I like the way the colors represent on a Samsung better than iPhone, and then you take the photo and you go you know uh, hashtag no edits. It's like oh. You were missing out on so much. (laughs)
0: Well, speaking of edits, the next next section is edit with intention. Uh, The editing process is an opportunity to put your artistic vision into practice, just like you've been talking about here. Um, Experiment with editing tools, filters, and presets to create a consistent look and feel across your photos. Develop a personal editing style that complements your subjects and enhances the mood you want to convey. I mean, we've kind of been talking about this all night, really. When you when yeah. you think about it, with all the different um, uh, sections that we've hit on this, editing seems to seems to have come into just about every one of them. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's one part that's that's missing in that little synopsis. There is visual flow, uh, mm. editing. I think editing is really powerful to change the visual hierarchy of elements. And uh, in the book, I talk all about. You know, you've got your. Uh, I think it was, it was Rick Salmon. It was on one of I think it was on one of your podcasts. Rick Salmon. Uh, he said, you know, the way to find the visual anchor and the, the part of the the photo that uh, grabs your attention is to look away, close your I'm looking I'm moving away from the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Look away, <laughs> look away, close your eyes, and then turn around and open your eyes again, and then that will help you go Ah, that's the visual anchor. That's the bit that I that I can see first. And it's similar to we've all we have all experienced this. You walk into a room and you have a blank. You go, "What did I walk in here for?" And you turn oh. around, you walk out. <laughs> as soon as you step out, you go, "Oh, that's what it was."
2: <laughs> so, the way happens to it. me a
1: lot. I of mean, I've, been, I've looked for my keys and they've been in my hand. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yep. And that's and that's the thing with, with with editing is that with editing you can go in there and you can and you you touched on it, Dave, with the muted colours. Uh, you can have areas that are muted so your eye doesn't go there. Then you go to other areas where the colours pop, or you've got more contrast, or you've got a darker area, bright area, whatever it is that manipulates. No, no, I know that sounds negative, but that's what our job is 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 um, artistically representing something, and we want the the viewer to look at the photo. We want them to have Instead of just looking at something static, two-dimensional, we want them to experience depth. We want them to experience that visual journey and looking around the photo. And this is why angles like diagonals work so much better than just verticals and horizontal lines. Although they give you stability and strength, having diagonals encourages you to move around the frame, move around, look around, explore, engage with the photo. And editing does that, especially when you get into – we've talked about some global adjustments, like whole of image adjustments uh, with um, colour grading, that sort of thing. But when you get into Mm -hmm. the area specific, that's really powerful when you can change the visual hierarchy and you can control and come back to that visual intention. You've got your main visual anchor and then you've got your contextual anchors or contextual elements that are there to tell a story or they are there to help you guide the viewer around the frame. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and, I could talk about this. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I knew this one would get you bouncing off the walls. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the reason is is because this is something that I struggled with. When I when I came from my technical background in photography and then got into photography and was, it was enjoying photography, I would look at other photos on Instagram and go, Wow, that's an amazing photo. I can't like how I've got all the technical experience. I'm using all these manual control apps. I'm using reflex, slow shutter cam at the time. I'm doing technical stuff. That's blowing people away with what you can do with a phone, especially when I'm out there running workshops saying, Hey, look how much Mm -hmm. role you can have out of the iPhone. But my photos were flat, boring, boring. They weren't doing anything for me. And uh, so then when I got into composition and and editing, it's like, wow, now, now I get it. Now I need to get out there and tell people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave, you do a lot of editing. Yeah. Um, And what I've really enjoyed from you lately is you sometimes you put the same image up with two or three different edits. And sometimes you'll put the original up to show the difference between the before and after. And I think that's a really cool thing.
2: Yeah, and that's one thing I do uh, a lot in the group because I want people to see what came out of the camera because I know, like, it, like when Mike said about, you know, a lot of people, you see these finished images and your mind blown, but you don't see, oh, that's not the image I took. I yeah. took image A and then it took me blah, 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 blah to get to the image you're seeing. And I like to say, okay, here's what I started with. And I normally when I post something, I'll hashtag the apps I used partially because I want to support the people making the apps and partially. So people who look at my photo can say, oh, he used this, this, this and this. Um, You know, like lots of I've gotten on a kick in the last month or so where I'll take a photo. Do a little work in Photoshop, in Lightroom Mobile. Uh, throw it in the Visionist. Maybe throw it in the art card. Uh, throw a little bit in Snapseed. Throw it back in the Lightroom Mobile and for the edited one. And do a, maybe a final cleanup in the Photos app. You know, and it comes out with a certain way. And sometimes... If you um, like I did a photo recently and I threw it in the Photoshop um, I, think, I remember that was it. Yeah, I think it was a it. Uh, Photoshop camera because it has the lenses and the presets and it gave me something that I didn't expect. And I was like, you know what? I, I like it. It, it kind of fits with the overall feel for the photo. So I'll go with that and I'll do some other stuff and I'll adjust some other things and see what else how it turns out. But so, yeah, so, would you
0: say your intent is to just find what you get? Like, um,
2: you know, it depends on the photo. It depends on the photo and what I'm trying to get out of it. Um, the like, there are certain photos that, like, I took one recently that was, um, uh, some flowers in front of the the Highmark building downtown. And my edit there was just more because it was an overcast gray day that it was like drizzle. I wanted to give a little bit more punch to it, especially the sky, which was kind of a uh, the photo turnout, just kind of gray, flat gray. And I know looking up at the sky, you can see there's a little bit more texture in it. So I wanted to pop it up a little bit and deal with the colors and that. So I did that was more of a little tweak at it. But like I said, the one I did, and I actually did a couple more edits on the uh, one that was the Soldiers and Sailors Hall uh, from um, Sunday. Um, I threw that in a couple different programs. And there's one filter that's in Photoshop camera, PS camera, which kind of gives it a like a white torn border. Um, kind of like if you took a photo that got torn, and you put it on white matting uh and kind of gave it a kind of a bluish you to it a you that way and i threw it in some other programs to give it a little color a little punch and a little thing like that and, but that was just getting the feel and the mood for it was i wanted a little bit more abstract and some colors that didn't exactly match at that time so a lot of times i'll look at a photo i took and i'll go and i'll be like well this photo, I just want it to be a little, a little tweaked, a little punched, maybe a little bit more clarity, a little sharper, and I'll work and I'll think about my editing that way. And there's are ones where it's like, okay, that mm, that really won't work there. I'm going to try a few other programs and get a feel for it. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't work. You know, uh, a week ago, I another race. Uh, It's fall. It's fall. So it's race. It's it's race uh, season. Uh, It was out at the Pittsburgh airport and there was one time where it was the beginning of the race and you saw the line of people who were racing kind of in front of me and making a turn off to the left. And. I just grabbed the camera, took a quick photo of it and put it back in, put, put it back in my pocket, but I couldn't get the photo to work out. Through editing the way I saw it in my eyes. And part of it is just a matter of these are even though these they're amazing, they're still small lenses. (laughs) And there's only so much you can do. And it's kind of a it was a challenging shot. You know, literally it was a thin line of people that went out, made a left turn, and it was around a half mile worth of people kind of in a line and it was just di- kind of disappearing and i kind of like the look of the you know the line of people turning off and go- and vanishing away but it just didn't pick it up so mm. you know sometimes you have a feel for what you want to do and you try to edit and it doesn't work out sometimes but that's fine because you learn from not working out i don't want to say failure wasn't a failure just didn't work out
0: yeah. Yeah. just didn't, didn't work fit your vision. Yeah, I guess you could say. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well we're going to rush through these last two points here cause we're going a little long here. Um, how much time do you have Mike? <clears throat> as long as you want. Okay. <laughs> well, we, we won't, <laughs> we won't, uh, we won't go on too much longer, but, yeah. um, just a couple of quick points about these ones. Um, next is shoot regularly and push boundaries. Um, uh, consistency and practice are key to developing your style challenge yourself to shoot regularly even if even in familiar environments push your creative boundaries try new techniques and venture outside your comfort zone embrace failures there you go dave <laughs> not that you, no, it wasn't a failure but yeah. you know embrace it right um and uh uh learn from them as they are stepping stones to growth just just like what you said so um you know shoot regularly one of the one of the Number one, uh, uh, points of advice or whatever is to to people who ask about how they can improve their work is you know, I find so many people telling people to go and shoot a lot, shoot often, go out and shoot, shoot, shoot because I mean, it's digital stuff, right? If you you could throw away what you don't want to use or whatever, um, you know, 30 years ago when everybody was shooting film, that's the last thing you'd say. But uh, um, you know, uh, think out, think outside the box. Uh, I think you could find ways of doing that by going back to number one, studying and drawing inspiration. You know, you can you can find uh, people's, people's work that would be something that you wouldn't even dream of doing. Um, you know, like especially when it comes to something like, say, street photography or macro work, even, uh, some people might not think of doing that. But if you think outside the box and, and you know, push those boundaries and do, and do try some of that stuff, you could be surprised and, and who knows
1: what you find. Yeah. I think setting yourself some projects as well, like it's it's really hard sometimes. Yeah. We, all, we will experience it. you go through a bit of a creative l- a rut, a lull. Uh, and you're like, oh, I just don't know what I'm out in my backyard again. I don't know what to capture. Try something different, like a uh, and just chat GPT, can <laughs> you use that. Give me some, some photographic projects to go and practice. And it could be something as 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 obscure as going out and capture a black and white, excuse <clears> me, <throat> a black and white intimate uh macro landscape. So you go out, you get on your hands and knees in the backyard, get in amongst the dirt, look for you know, turn your your iPhone into mono mode and uh, activate the you know macro or use a macro at lens attachment. Bring in some some portable lights, color different colored lights. Like just experiment mm-hmm. and come up with something totally different. Just and and I think that's a way that you can just uh, continually find some your creativity. Yeah, just focus on one thing. One of the things I did that that I, I go back to this all the time is uh, just turn into mono mode. And go out, and I do this when I'm in in Melbourne, in the city, with with streetscapes. Just shoot, look. It's, it's really, it's one thing to go and edit a photo in black and white, but it's another thing to actually go out and look into your viewfinder in black and white because that helps you remove the color, and you're just looking at the light, um, shapes, lines, textures, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a really good way to. To get out there and stay consistent and be regular taking your photos, is set yourself new projects and something else to go out and practice because it's, I, I struggle myself because when nowadays when I'm out there taking photos, it's like, okay, how can I use this for content? Yeah, <laughs> how, how, can I, how can I tie this into a course? Like, what can this complement? And uh, yeah, so it's it's a little different nowadays. But that's why me personally, I I connect with that idea of having a project because then it's a personal project. I'm not doing it to, hey, I'm going to go and, and put together a, a blog on black and white intimate landscapes in my backyard. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> no one, no one's going to look that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think the best way to indulge in, um, you know, shooting regularly and pushing boundaries is to get yourself into a 365 project where you Shoot a, sh- a, sh- a photo, at least one photo a day, and then post it on, say, Instagram or whatever, and do that for a year. I've wow. done it twice, and I don't think I'll ever do it again. <laughs> 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 the first time I did it, I this friend of mine, she said, let's do the 365 starting January 1st. Okay, stupid me. Forgot to realize it was a leap year, <laughs> so it ended up being a three sixty six. But you know bro. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know what? And and I have a plaque, like a plaque mounted image of it on the wall, where I've got three hundred sixty six one inch thumbnails of each image from Instagram, mm. going top to bottom. And I'm so glad I did it because now I could say I've done it for one. <laughs> But it did, it pushed the boundaries of like I had to literally make myself look for something. And what I did was I shot, edited, and posted on the day every day, never missed a day. And it really made me get a little creative sometimes. I would I could be at work on a night shift, and so I worked from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. or 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., whatever day or nights. And I found myself at 1130 at night thinking, oh, my gosh, I forgot to take a picture. Put it, I will walk around and find something and edit it and post it before midnight on that day. I think there might have been a couple of times I went past midnight, but, you know, I I, I got them got them in there anyway. And um, so it, it would really push, push my boundaries of creativity and everything else because I had to find stuff to take pictures of and even on, on my days off when I was you know sitting at home or whatever I would think okay what well, can I take a picture of and quite often it was when I was out around town or whatever but it would it was really a good good a great exercise I recommend everybody do it at least once the second time I did it was a monochrome year, black and white. Um, another friend of mine said, "Hey, let's do the let's do the 365, but let's do it black and white." Okay, well, all right. <laughs> so we did it, and uh, but you know what? It was it was just as fun, you know. And 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 shooting in black and white every day. Well, not necessarily shooting in black and white, but sometimes I I did. I would use the black and white filter, or sometimes I would just edit in black and white. But it really, um gave me a fondness for black and white photography so you know uh, and and that could very easily um help somebody develop their style like maybe they could develop a style of black and white um you know but it, it, it was fun it was it that's a great way to get out there and shoot regularly and and push those boundaries um so the last one here is trust your intuition when it's important to. Um, while it's important to learn from others and seek inspiration, remember to trust your instincts and follow your own vision. Let your unique perspective and experiences shape your photography. Authenticity and genuine expression are foundations of developing a distinct style. I think uh, I think that's pretty true and uh um you know, Dave, you've you've could kind of been following your vision with with your editing that you've been doing. You know, mm-hmm. with art card and visionist and things like that. I yeah. would say,
2: yeah, and like I said, it, it, it's important to learn from others. But like we talked about, everyone has their own particular style, and it, your style may not be everyone's. It won't be. It won't be everyone's cup of tea, just because that's how people's likes and dislikes works there's but, a subjectivity, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But you know, if you get joy out of it and you get to the point where you're like I like the way this turned out and go for that because you're you, there's enough people out there where you won't be the only one. You know. How many artists do we celebrate that do something that's completely different and break all the rules? You know. Or at first we're told, oh, don't do it that way. That's not the way to do, you know, singing, painting, photography, whatever. That's not the proper, the quote unquote proper way to do it. That's not the way. Well, you know, if it's a style that you like and that you're comfortable doing, go for it. That's the biggest thing. You know, again, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with saying to someone, okay, I'm stuck between these two. Which one do you like better? Now, if you disagree vehemently with what the person says, eh, no, it's, you know, that's that person's style is completely different from yours. And you're like, OK, well, I appreciate your feedback, but I'm going to go in a different direction. Uh, but, mm. you know, trust your own intuition. Trust what you like. You're the photographer. You're the artist. Trust what you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's right. Any thoughts, Mike?
1: No, I don't really have anything else to add to that other than um, just clarifying that last point there about um, authenticity is the foundation of style. I think um, that comes back to finding what you consistently do, what you consistently like to capture. Like you can't go out there and say, okay, I, I'm going to go out there and my style is going to be bridges from this particular perspective. You can't You can't keep that up. You can't shoot that consistently. So if you find something, a, a subject or a shooting technique or an editing technique that you consistently do and you enjoy that regardless of what other people think if you enjoy that that becomes your style but i think one of the things we mentioned very very start of this is that it's uh, continually evolving I, i know so many people that um find a style and then that becomes their their brand that becomes their what they're known for and uh and that can become a bit of a trap and uh so yeah You can actually, uh, the way I view it is that I have a different style for the different subject matter, different genre. So I'll have a certain style for landscapes. I'll have a certain style for black and white. Um, Yeah. So it should always be constantly evolving as you're learning new skills, as you're being influenced by different photographers, different photography groups, clubs, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. Don't, don't, it's not a destination, you know, that old saying. It's not a destination, it's a journey. Yeah. That's (laughs) right. But it's true. Yeah, it's constantly about, it should be constantly evolving. You should always be challenging yourself to, okay. And that's why we get into those, those creative ruts is because, um, yeah, you're not, you're not feeling challenged again.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, I think we've had a heck of a conversation on this, uh, tonight. So, to summary, uh, our outline says, remember that developing a style is, like you said, a journey that evolves over time. It's okay to experiment, refine and adapt along the way. Enjoy the process, be patient and embrace your individuality as you explore the world of iPhone photography. I think that sums it up really, really well. Um, you know, we we could we probably could have made a 3-hour, 4-hour episode on all this stuff. And um, but you know what? This is when I saw this outline I thought there's only one guy I want to help have on here to talk about this stuff, and that's you, Mike, because I think your um you know your your experience with you know instructing people and things like that and and your um I call it you know a systematic approach and 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 thinking and all that stuff really uh adds to the discussion when it comes to developing a unique style and uh man I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come out and and uh, play with us today and, and talk about this stuff.
1: Oh that's great. Thank you. And that 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 really means a lot because I know myself uh coming from a technical background in photography and not feeling creative enough and feel because my my dad and my sister both are amazing guitarists uh and I I, I felt like I skipped that gene. I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> but then when I realized <laughs> that you can, you can learn principles and guidelines in art or photography, and that helps you to get out there and try different things and be creative, uh, that's the process. And, um, no, that's really cool. It was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Thoroughly enjoyed Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave, do you think you have anything to take away from this?
2: Um, well, I would say there's a good amount, but uh, I, I, I'm going to cop out here and say because it's quarter to 11 at night,
0: yeah. Um
2: yeah. any deep inter- introspection I'm going to wait till later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but No, I mean, like I said it was a great it was a great conversation. And yeah. It's for always sure. it, I mean like you said about in in, uh, in past episodes. One of the re- the main reason I think we do the podcast is we enjoy talking about photography.
0: Yeah, and you know what? We are always learning ourselves.
2: Yeah, you know, exactly. We exactly. learn
0: from each other, we learn yeah. from things that we see online and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's always room to learn. And I've always said, you know, uh teach what you know and learn what you don't. And mm-hmm. I think I think it comes around comes around full circle sometimes. So before we we tie it off here, um, I've been saying that I'm not going to upgrade to uh the 15 this year. Mm-hmm. But I have made an executive decision to do just that. (laughs) I wasn't going to, even after seeing, you know, the the keynote and all that stuff. But I thought, you know, I'm going to retire one day, hopefully sooner than later. And I'm not going to be able to just go out and buy one every year. So my plan is to hopefully upgrade this year, upgrade next year. And then, I'm that. That's kind of my uh, retirement goal is to probably be the end of next year. And uh, I mean, who knows? It may happen. It may not. I don't know. It just depends on whether my situation will allow me to do that. I'm hoping it will. Um, but in in any case, I'm I'm hopefully going to like I'm definitely going to upgrade this year. So I've got it ordered, and it doesn't get here until. At least October 15th, because I didn't jump on the pre-order right away. So um I'm getting the Pro Max in the titanium blue. And uh I've got the um fine woven case already. Whoa. Uh how much time it's gonna spend on my phone, I don't know because I've been hearing a lot of things about them. I, I wish they would still make the leather ones, but uh I'm probably going to come up with a, a substitute at some point yeah. that's going to be a little more durable, but anyway, um, so that's the, that's the dope on that. Um, so I will be able to share some firsthand experiences. Um, and, and Dave, if, um, uh, the track record shows, you'll probably get a new one next year, maybe
2: I'm thinking next year. Yeah. Because, yeah. So we're still, both me and Ruth have like 13 months left to pay on the phone. Yeah, And right now to put out, especially since both, you know, there's nothing wrong with the phone with, yeah. with, with our 13th, you know, there, are, right, yeah. yeah it's like, oh, would I love to have the five X and the extra dark and the, the fact that it doesn't go to night mode until much darker than my phone would. Yeah. I like that. Uh, is it worth paying the extra $500 to pay off my contract right now so I can trade in the phone and no, no, I'm, yeah, I'll wait a year. I'll pay it off a month or two early, and yeah, yeah. Um, go from there. Then,
0: yeah. What about you, Mike? Are you jumping on the uh, fifteen or?
1: No, no, I'm not.
0: <laughs> okay, and I
1: think it, it's partly because, as you um, alluded to, I, I, my focus is more on um, photographic intention, composition, editing. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much the technical stuff anymore. I think the technical stuff for me was was in the fascination with technical and wanting to squeeze as much as I could out of the phone. I think that held me back quite a lot with photography. So now I kind of focus more on skills, skills enhancement and, and yeah. learning. Um, yeah, I, I've spent well, that's, the money. That's, that's,
0: that's, that's perfectly fair. Um, I mean, do I really need to? No. Um, but it's just something that... Uh, I thought, you know, it, while I have the opportunity, while I have the chance to do it, I thought, you know, I, I could do it. And another excuse is, is because I do this podcast, I kind of like to have the latest and greatest when I can so that I can talk about it firsthand. And um, I mean, I'm not like, you know, some of these YouTubers and that who get one sent to them who can do a quick review of it. I I, I won't be able to do that. Um. yeah, a buddy of mine in town has one, but I'm not going to ask him if I could borrow it for a week. I don't think he'd let me.
2: <laughs> no, no, not for a week. Uh, an afternoon, <laughs> maybe. An afternoon, early evening.
0: Well, I think there's going to be a time when him and I can go and shoot it and he can say, here, yep. you want to try it? Okay, mm-hmm. okay that's enough. <laughs> how- so,
2: however, anyway. how- However, being the spiritual successor of the longest-running iPhone photography podcast, and I think we are right now the longest-running iPhone photography podcast.
0: If you, uh, if you include Tiny Shutter, you mean?
2: Well, even if you don't, I think for, that that focus is only on iPhone photography.
0: Oh, currently, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes.
2: That's what I'm saying, yes. Be, being the, the longest-running iPhone photography podcast, if anyone at Apple happens to hear this, <laughs> we're open. Oh, we're, yeah, yeah. we're open for, 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 for review units. We're, we're not shunning you guys. Oh heck no, no, we would never do that. No, if this oh, ever gets right. up to Tim Apple's ear, uh, <laughs> I, what, we would have no problem. I, I might have <laughs> shut the on
1: that opportunity. Can I take back what I said? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shouldn't be laughing because I start coughing. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. So, Dave, let's tell everybody where they can find you real quick.
2: Sure, you can find me pretty much everywhere on social media as ProfPod, except for uh, TikTok, where I'm PGH. And on Facebook is Dave Podner Jr.
0: Alrighty, Mike, how about you?
2: Uh,
1: two locations. Smartphonephotography.club is where you can learn about the uh, the club with all the courses and forum, uh, the live Zoom calls, that sort of thing. And then for general tutorials, uh, smartphone, photography,
0: already. And the links to the club, it's, it's always been in the show notes. And, uh, um, I think the other one's in there too. I'm not sure if it's not, I'll, I'll put it in there and, uh, you can find me at, um, I, I always say the best place is about.me slash Macmillan. And that's got all my links and whatnot to the socials and wherever I am, my website and whatnot. So, uh, you can find me there. Well, thanks, guys. It's been a great conversation. Uh, uh, Folks, if you stuck around this long, good on (laughs) you. And uh, we really do appreciate it. And I guess we will see everybody on the next one.
2: Have a great one, everyone.